Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for coming. For those of us who are here for the first time, um, Sunday nights we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And um, I think of the 155 verses that are in that book, I think we're almost to the end. But boy, it's been um, a wonderful journey. Um, I've been following through the recordings, and I can't help but be in awe of God, you know, how generous and how awesome he is and he always gives more than enough you know and it's you know in all of the spirit as well who is able to speak and who's able to crack open you know the hard scriptures and reveal the treasures that christ who is in them and 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 so it it needs a special kind of i think vision and sight and hearing to be able to see christ for who he is within the scriptures and so if, if you've been following the, the book of Ephesians, you can actually see in the Spirit um, the scriptures or the prophecy being fulfilled in your midst. You know, there's a miracle that's actually happening in your midst, even with us going through the scriptures. You know, 155 verses, and where are we now? We're in August. I think we're close to eight months and so bread and manna is literally being multiplied in your midst. You know, you cannot, and so it, it's just how, how awesome he is. Uh, so for, um, for tonight, um, I've been asked to look at, um, Ephesians, but I'd like us to look at Ephesians 5.21, and we'll go from there to 6 verse, uh, chapter 6 verse 9. Okay. It's quite a, um, a big section of the scriptures, but um, maybe we just read through. It says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, being cleansed her by the washing of water and with the word, that he might present to himself the, uh, the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. For she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And this mystery is great, for I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each of each individual ought you to love his own wife as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, so which is the commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your, husband, your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to your um, masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your hearts as to Christ 
not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will render service to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whether whatever good thing one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether slaves or free. And masters do the same to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Amen. This whole section in my in my Bible comes uh, with a sec- title like Instructions for Christian Household. And um, I'm not going to dwell in any particular uh, verse uh, tonight, but I just wanted to take this as a springboard for us to talk about relationships in general. Um, if you go through this, the, the uh, verses that we've read, it talked about, it speaks about um, wedding, a marriage between husband and wife, parents and children, and then masters and slaves. In our maybe in our context, it could be, you know, your your boss and yourself, uh, if you're working for a boss, um, the master and slave. It can also be, it can also be um, like it can. Other sections of scriptures also speak about. Um, citizens and the authorities that you're serving. And so all of these are, are scriptures. And I initially found it difficult to talk about it because, you know, I've, 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 I wondered, you know, why would a, a, a quiet, uh, introverted, um, what else, um, cons- <laughs> reserved person be talking about relationship? But so I've asked the Lord and he said, precisely, that's the reason. <laughs> Because um, if you were an expert in this, then you would not seek me. Um, and and so um, yeah, so that's I think where where we've started. And so that got me thinking, because I, I'm not here to talk about you know the practicalities of these different types of relationships. Um, God has blessed the church with the people like Cliff and Jenny. We had a wonderful time yesterday, um, and, and Jenny Hale and others who are able to see these individual relationships for what they are, you know, specifically what, what are the, the, what, how we work physically and how we can operate from this relationship. But so he, he, we, we, like going back to that, what I started with is where are we starting from? Are we looking at this relationship as from the physical or are we looking at them from the from the spirit? And so that's one of the, the the thoughts that I started with. The other one is it's so easy to look at this relationship separately, you know. Um, but they are not, you know. They are rather than looking at them. Marriage is marriage, and you know, parenthood is different, and they are different, and the way that they operate is quite different. But how about we look at them as you know clusters of grapes, as grapes in a cluster? That is all feeding from a single vine. And, and so if you look at it from that way, um, that's oftentimes, that would happen, gives us a very different look at, at, at things as well. And when we look at it from that way, um, it made me realize that even if our, with our own physical bodies, we have, our bodies are made of different organs, you know, the hair, the body, the bones and skins and so on. If you subject each of these and look at the cells individually, they all look different the way they function, and so on. But the whole body in its diversity actually came from the union of two cells, you know. 
two cells that disappeared and just became one cell. And from that one cell came all this diversity. And so this is how it actually begins. So you could f- try to work out all of these things separately and get you know, bogged down with all the different stuff. Or you could actually just look at from the very beginning, look at the start. And so that is what, you, what the perspective that you would like us to have. And so if we start from the conclusion, it is we looked at our relationships from the point of where it starts from the beginning. So the God's purpose in a relationship and how all of these relationships are defined and empowered through his love and his faithfulness. And so I can sit down with that. But I don't think he allows me. He allows me. He will allow me to do that. No, no, no. And so let's start from there. Let's start from the first part, which is uh, that one. So we are all, yes, um, we are all on this, um, if you look at my, if I look at my life, and I think if you look at where we are journeying, we're all on this journey of rediscovery. So, so we're like, you know, we're trying to find things and we found things that are already there. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not finding new things, but the, the, the beauty of rediscovery is that it doesn't gives you any license to boast. In fact, you feel the opposite. You know, you get humbled in the process of finding that it's always there. But God, that's what God is. He's always, he's already there and he's waiting and he's like, you know, a Jacob when he realizes that you are there all along. You know, I've, I've been searching, but now I found actually God, you're there. Um, Greg played the song by John, Jason Upton during staff meeting. And I, during, and, and I felt that, you know, that is what that song actually speaks very clearly. It, it says, you are home to me. So it speaks very clearly of this reality of, of us coming back to the beginning, which is actually the end. Um, and so if we, if we look at, um, you know, coming back and so father waiting for us, waiting for the son to, realize that life is actually start it's not in where he, he ended up but actually coming back to the beginning it's like you know Isaac waiting for his bride and the Holy Spirit you know was represented by the servant bringing him back so that's what we are we are coming back to where we belong where we started um, if it's because and so that got me thinking about you know the fall and I think if there's one thing that the fall has done which crisis restored, is us bring us back to that um, start where we supposed to be. So if God is like the ocean, with who, which is full, which is wide, which is like where all the mysteries are contained, you know, the truth and life is contained. The fall has actually made us separate from the ocean, and we become puddles. So under the sun, we are striving on our own with our intellect, which is also given to us by God and trying to make, eke out a life out of what we have. You know, imagine separated from, from the ocean and, and, and drying up and, and, and making sense of it all. And yet, we have been successful to some extent, you know, making life out of what it is. But there is something in there that actually calling us back to the origin path. And, and that is what Jesus did. You know, he, he brought us back to the ocean and we become part of the ocean and we are becoming, you know, he allowed us access to everything that's there far more than we could even imagine. So I'd like to um, share an analogy which I think would 
probably bring us to to what I wanted to say is but this is a it's called a paperclip story because as a young Christian this was shared um, by one of the pastors during a rededication ceremony and so he 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 showed um with his hand but I think it's 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 hard for you to see with my hand so this is what I I put it so this contraption I think we all know what this is but they say if you ask if you ask someone who is, maybe, who lived a, a, a hundred and a half century ago, they won't know what this is. But even if we ask we, who do know what this is, we, we can be quite inventful with this. So we can, we can do a lot of things. And these are some of the things that we can do with it. You can, you could, you could, you know, it can be a, a door pick. You could, you know, you could even use it to clean your ears and, and you could, you know, twist it around and, uh, you know, connect it to, Batteries and you know and, and do springs and stuff, and 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 so like us, if you are separated from the ocean, this is what actually we have done with our lives, and and this is what we actually are when we come back to Him, and 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 and, and during that time, I think one of the things that came back to me is 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 when He said, you know. So often have we tried to manipulate our lives, you know, or manipulate our children, or manipulate our, our bosses, our workplace, our, our jobs, and to, to fit into what we feel, and in the sincerity of our hearts, to be good, you know, to be right, and so on. But who are we to define what is good? The Bible says only God knows what is good. And so when we reach to a point, and that, you know, it doesn't seem to be working, all it needs is just a short turn, uh, for repentance, and cry out, Lord, we need you. You know, we, we are, we think that we know, but we actually don't know anything, so <laughs> we have to go back. And so that's what it is. He said, your children are not yours. Your wife is not yours to change. Your career is not yours to change. Your boss is not yours to change. They're not yours, Period. And so that coming to that realization is actually a major turning point. Until we realize who we are and who actually owns us and who actually has the right to determine who we, you know, what we are and what we're supposed to be, then we have actually never begun. We are still puddles in the sea. Um, Colossians 1.16 says, For in him, who is he? In him, in Christ, all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible. So even things that are to be visible are still in him and created for him. So whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, um, all things have been created through him and for him. So everything is in the Lord, everything is created for him. Even the relationships that we have talked about earlier, all of those are created for him. And so you would often wonder, like even in the verses that we've read, Paul will always say, unto him, as with the Lord, as with Christ, as with the Lord. So it's, it, that is, I think, the first major importance with relationship is coming to the conclusion that everything is for the beloved. God created everything for his son. And he deserves everything, you know. Um, the relationships that we have are all just tools to point us to the Lord. 
no matter how great they are physically or you know in, in the physical or not they are meant to point us to him they are means to him they're also his means to us and so the way relationships are used for us you know we, to to come to the lord he also use us to be able to be a blessing his blessing to the relationship that we are in it's so easy to think about you know so that is the will of god you know the will of god is i'm sure you should know that already from is 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 conformity to christ so it's about us being molded like coming to this Colossians 1.16, where God says, so put everything under his feet. Um, everything becomes Christ. Everything is for Christ. And so when we are transformed into him, we cannot just be us transforming into him. You know, our relationships and everything that's in it should be seen in the light of being saved, in being justified and sanctified and glorified. Imagine that if you walk and think about your relationship in your day-to-day, and think that your relationship is also being glorified and sanctified along with you. You know, having that in mind, you know, even your workplace is being glorified and sanctified because you're there. You know, being, even your, 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 your marriage, physical marriage, your, has your, your, your relationship with your children, um, that's what it is until as the scripture says, you know, his glory fills the earth as the waters fill the sea. So that is the end. That is the glory. Uh, that is the purpose. The other thing about, I think, the fall that has changed at tomb is, is this myopic or short-sighted view of eternity in God. Um, I recently um, um, had a visit to the eye ophthalmologist, and I found out that I, I'm slightly astigmatic. So it's, I think the shape of the eyeball makes it, you know, that you can't see far objects clearly as well as near objects as well. And, 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 and I, and it was, it's because, and, and because it's a natural thingy, well, that means I would have been astigmatic even since I was a child. But I think as, as you grow, as you're young, your eyeball, your lens automatically adjusts so you don't actually feel that until you reach a certain age when things start to stiffen up. And so you realize that, you know, it's, it's, it's things you need, <laughs> you need glasses to see. And so glasses were given and boy, it, you surprised me to see how sharp things can be. Um, and, and, and although, you know, it's, it, the hassles of having to wear it sometimes, I said, I, I can still manage without it, so it's okay. But I think that's how, we often see relationships as well. So we look at all of these relationships that we have. Um, how far do we go when we see them? You know, there's a um, someone, um, a missionary named Watchman Lee Nee, and he had a quote that is really, I think, it struck me when the first time I read this. We only see history back from the fall. God sees it from the beginning. So there's something in God's mind before the fall, and in the ages to come, that thing is to be fully realized. You know, so how we see the beginning actually impacts how we live our lives today. And so when we focus on sin, when we focus on the fall, um, that will also affect not just how we see ourselves, but how we see others and how we see our relationship. 
So God focuses on our uh, we focuses on sin, but God focuses on glory. And so let us look at that from that point. You know, if you look at us from the fall, then how would that affect us? You know, we would see. You know, that means if it's a fall, then the solution would just be Christ coming and dying for us, and so we we'll, we can sit back and relax after that, right? Or if if it's from the fall, then we'd see ourselves as being unworthy, undeserving, and that sense of condemnation, which I think permeates every relationship, would be there. So we we hesitate. We don't want to approach God. We don't want to approach others, and so that that thing is there. But it's not just about the fall. You know, if you look back before the fall, you have God giving men dominion over the earth. And so would that be the only thing? It's just dominion over the earth. And we have, we see people, um, looking at that. And so bring heaven down to earth and let's, 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 let's get God in every area of, of human existence in the physical. And, and that's being dominion on the earth. But if you look even beyond before that, actually it's about relationship. So, you know, God created man for relationship. And so it's not even, so at the, at the very beginning, it is really a love relationship, and it's a love relationship that is defined by, by God Himself, and so by God Himself. And so how we see God is, and how, affects how we see ourselves and how we see others. And so how we know and experience His love also affects everything else. Um, and so if, like what Mel said, if, if your relationships are heavy and feels heavy, then maybe we need to go back to the the father of relationships to see how he sees things and how he does uh, how what he sees about relationship and and there's there's a caveat here i think if we when we focus on god you know the standards will be raised and so the standards will be raised when we see how he sees love and how he does how he loves and how he sees relationships and what they are as it is ends, the standards are raised. But there's a there's a good news in that as well, and so we'll go to that later on. And so why would God engage himself in a relationship? I think part of the reason why people struggle to love God is because they probably have I think even me, when I started, it's, it's hard to imagine um, a God that loves us. You know, um, you have God who exists independently and who has everything, so He doesn't need us. And and so, why would God, who can live by Himself, you know, choose to be become vulnerable? And create man to share his life with, you know. If that doesn't boost your confidence, <laughs> I don't know what with, you know. Sometimes you wonder that, you know, how, you know, um, if you can, if you love someone and you said, I love you, but, you know, if, if you're gone, it doesn't matter. I can still live without you. Um, you won't be, you won't feel great about that, but, this is a different because even though God can live and exist apart from us, He still chose to love us, and so that is the, that is the word there is chose. So this actually makes God lovable, and so we are not, as I, I, I was sharing, we are not goldfish or or any pet, you know, because if you have that impression that God just 
created us to, for His enjoyment. And then if, 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 if we did something wrong, well, you can just throw us away and then get another pet and, and so on. <laughs> you will, you will not, you will not find Him endearing. But oftentimes that's actually what people's thinking of God is. And that's also what people's thinking of other people are. And you know, even into relationships and so on. And so we have to, in the beginning, we have to change that. You know, He loves us because He loves us. And love cannot be love without someone to love. And so the perfect love actually um, is also quite vulnerable because, you know, he, 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 that's what love is. And to have a, someone who deliberately chooses us, not from the very beginning of time, to have this relationship is, is something that you, is very, very special. Um, so although God can exist without us, He finds actually meaning and significance in a relationship with us. And that is, is special. And some, um, someone to share eternity with Him. And so when, when Sam shared his message last Sunday, that particular word that God said, it is beautiful for a man. It's not beautiful for a man to be alone. It hit me. Like, he's actually speaking it of himself too. It is not beautiful for God to be alone. You know, he needs us. He, he needs us. We give meaning to him, even in our own little way, even with our, you know, our, our, our failures, our mistakes, even in his coming to die for him. It is significant. You know, he needs, he, you give meaning to his life. If you give meaning to him, um, and, and, and he loves being him. He loves loving you for who he is. And so that brings us to the other thing about love. If, what is this love of God that we know? We know that it is agape, and 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 uh, Cliff and what you call them? Jenny shared it yesterday. Um, in in the Greek, there are many different types of love. You have love between um, uh, called the romantic love, which is eros, and you have love between friends and love between families, um, and, and so on and so forth. But this type of love which is called agape, is, is the said to be the most noblest and purest of love because it is a love that is not, um, is selfless. So it is a love that is not motivated by superficial or external appearance, which eros is, you know, the physical love. It is not love that is motivated by emotional attraction or love that is motivated by sentimental relationship. Nothing controls it. The only thing about this Love of God is that it is, um, it is an act of will. He has to choose to love. And so nothing controls it, nothing, um, comes from it. And so when you have this kind of love, um, actually this love is able to not just, is able to replace or supplant all the other types. So you can have a love for your wife, you know, the erotic, you know, physical love. And that's not the love that you can have for somebody else because it's, it's, it's constrained by physical appearance. You can have a love for your family, but that love is not the love that you could have for some other person because that is constrained by relationship. But this love of God is a love 
that you could have for everyone else. And even the same love you can give to your wife, to your family, to your children. Remember, it doesn't change. It's, it's his love. Um, so, I've been thinking, like, if that's the case, can my love for my wife be replaced by the love of God? It can, right? So, agape can replace eros. Agape can replace phileo. Agape can replace all the other, other love. Uh, so, but in the, in the, when you speak of the car, can you just easily replace gas with diesel? No, you have a very big problem with that. So the only way for, uh, what do you need to do if you would like the car to run on diesel if it's a petrol one? You change the engine. <laughs> change the hat. Change the hat. Um, um, so what is agape? Agape, the, um, Rochelle and I, we had this chat of, uh, one John and said the key example, the key characteristic of agape is a selfless love that always seeks the good of others. And so when you have a, a heart that seeks the good of others, it doesn't have to have, it doesn't really matter who the other is, right? It has to be, it can be anyone and everyone. Um, and so that's, um, but what is this good? Is it your good or is it his good? Because our good may not necessarily be the good, which is defined by the God. Um, um, his love, because God is love, his love is also natural. It's inherent in him. So a good example, which I think he showed me, which is still cutting my heart, is, is that love is, should be automatic. It's like breathing. When you breathe, are you conscious of your breathing? Yes, you can be conscious, but most of the time you're not. It just comes out naturally. So it's like a fruit tree that bears fruit in season. And no matter who is the one tending it or watering it, it will still bear the same fruit. It doesn't change. So when I breathe, for example, I cannot stop breathing when I'm in front of Rodney and continue breathing when I'm in front of Greg. If, if I'm a tree, I cannot bear maybe a sour apple for Jane and a sweet apple for Pam. It will always be the same fruit, irregardless of who is the recipient. And that it can be very, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging. Um, it doesn't change. And so when, when this, this guy, a Pharisee asked Jesus, um, about the commandments and Jesus said, you know, you should love your neighbor as yourself. This guy wanted to justify by saying, who is my neighbor? You know, who is that neighbor that I have to be loving to? And, but Jesus turned the story back to him, you know. Jesus told him, well, then what, what is your neighbor? And so he, he talked about the, the Samaritan guy, um, who helped this Jew. And, and, and so that was not unheard, that was unheard of in, in their time because you don't help, a Jew will not help a Samaritan, a Samaritan will not help a Jew. And so what Jesus was trying to say was, it's not about who your neighbor is. It's whether, like the fruit or the breathing, is are you a loving person? You know, if you are a loving person, 
it doesn't matter who the neighbor is. So even if the person you are serving throws what you're giving to him back at you or insults you, it doesn't change because you can't help but becoming love, love, you know, can't help being love. And so that's what God's love is. So it's not us. I'm talking about Him. And, and so that's raising the standard of who He is. He, he will always love you. He will always love everyone. That's just why the Bible says, you know, He gives rain to the good and the bad alike. He, He died not just for those who, for His disciples, but even for the very people who wanted Him dead on the cross. So He died for everyone. He died. His love is, un, you know, is, is seen for everyone. Think about that in a relationship. The other thing about God's love is faithfulness. You can't have love that just lasts for a minute and then it's gone. You know, it's it's, it's cons- it should be there constantly. And the faithfulness of God is actually rooted in Him being truth itself. And so, for certain times, sometimes truth and faithfulness are seen as just one word. Because one thing that is not faithful will not be truthful. It's not reliable. If something is not reliable, it works today and it's not working tomorrow, then that's not truth. You know, truth should be truth irregardless. It doesn't change. It's constant. It never stays. And so God's is truth. So whatever promises that he makes will stand. Which is why in the scriptures, because we had a series on covenant and and, and Greg shared, you know, the, the, the cost of it on God's end and what, what covenant actually means in His, as far as His, as, uh, as far as God's concerned. It's, it's quite serious, really, at, uh, with, with the Lord. Um, and so as far as God is concerned, He doesn't do anything but covenant because that's rooted in faithfulness and that's rooted in His, in being truthful. And so he, he treats covenant very seriously. And, and so if you have truth as hard as a rock, anything, when you do a covenant, you actually cut on the rock and it becomes a permanent thing on it. And so like when God promised Noah, what did he promise as a sign? A rainbow. If you go to Revelation, you see that above his throne is a rainbow. You know, if, if you saw Christ, he, he, he made a covenant to serve us. And so when even in his glorified state, he was dressed as a servant with the girdle on his hand. And Greg shared when he, when he came to save us, he also cut his hands. And that is a mark that stays on forever. It's nose, the rainbow, the, 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 the life-giving tree of life, you know, the, the tunic and, and the things of the hands are permanently there. They are unchanging. And so they stay there. Not to remind God that He is forgetful, but it's to show us, you know, the, the solidness, the, the strength of that rock that we are standing on. And so when you, so that's what covenant is. And the beauty about covenant, it's always based on a promise. So a vow is a covenant. A vow is a promise is a covenant. But to, but we today, we don't do covenants that much, right? Um, maybe in the past, that's why they say if you do give your word, you have to fulfill that regardless. But today, a lot of us look at contracts instead. And so, um, covenant and contracts are quite different. And so let me just define. Contracts in their purest forms are specific agreements between two parties 
to fulfill a set of promises. So if one breaks that agreement, the contract is broken, freeing the other party of the obligations. So contracts establish a give and take relationship. There's an exchange, but um, that is usually condi- uh, institutionalized and conditional. Covenant, on the other hand, appeals to a cause that is greater than any of the exchange. So in a covenant, if one party breaks his or her obligation, it does not render the other party the ability to do the same. Um, why? Because an oath is not really about the other person. It is an appeal to God or to appeal to something higher to serve the greater good. And so if we look at this, you know, a contract is essentially a legal document and agreement. So who governs it? Of course, the state, the government. But a, a covenant goes beyond legal. So it, if, if the contract lies in the physical, a covenant lies beyond the physical. It lies in the spiritual. So that's, that's, um, a contract is an agreement between parties while a covenant is a pledge. So it doesn't need two parties to agree on something. It is usually the greater one with the ability and with the integrity that actually makes the covenant with, with someone else. And so the one who makes the covenant will stand regardless of the recipient's know, behavior or, or attitudes. Covenant, a contract is usually signed, but a covenant is sealed. So a covenant can be broken, but a, a, a contract can be broken. A covenant is an enduring promise or a vow. Um, a contract is usually mutually benefiting. So it, you know, it should benefit both parties. I, I, there should be something in it for me. There should be something in it for you. So that's, but a, a covenant is, it's not about who benefits who. It's about the other person's ability to fulfill the promise. You know, a contract involves an exchange or something, but a covenant is about the giving of oneself. When I make a promise, I'm actually giving myself to fulfill that promise. So it's not about the other person giving something else. Um, one can opt out of the covenant, of the contract, but one, and when, cov- when it talks about covenant, it's ab- ab- about the strength to hold up to one's promise. A covenant involves limited responsibilities. So uh, uh, that's a contract, I mean. While a covenant assumes full accountability. You can see the difference because if you talk about a contract, we, it's about my rights and your rights. It's about restricting or reducing what I need to do and what you need to do. But when you talk about the covenant, it's no longer about rights because I, I lose all my rights when I make my promise to fulfill that. And then it's no longer reducing things to small items to tick the box, but actually my obligation goes beyond just the ticking of the box because there are things that might be required of my promise that is not within the contract. So you can imagine like in a, in a landlord, landlord, um, tenant relationship. If it's about the contract and the, the contract says, you know, the landlord will come and check the house every three months, then I can delay cleaning the house until the landlord comes. 
you know, and because I don't care about the house at all. You know, I don't care about the house state and so on. So when the landlord comes and I clean the house. But if, if as a tenant, I, I, I make this vow to the landlord that I will take care of the house as I, as it's mine, even though it's not mine, I will keep it in a clean state, irregardless of whether the landlord comes or not. And so that is something that's outside what is the stipulated in the contract. It goes beyond the contract. And what this scripture talks about, if you are in the life, you go outside of the law, which is the thing. Um, what else? So, um, parties' rights, no rights. And then when it comes to the contract, if one stops paying, and I've seen this is the paying contract, the other parties is, is also free not to fulfill. But when it comes to covenant, the party not getting their needs met actually supports the, the failing party so that they can meet their obligation. <laughs> because it's about the other end. Um, thinking about this, you know, let's just take marriage for example. Whenever we have a marriage ceremony, there's actually two transactions that's happening, a physical one and a spiritual one. You know, uh, in a marriage ceremony, you'll have vows that are given, covenant, and you have papers that are signed, contracts. And so depending upon how you see which is more important, that is how you, you, you do your wedding. If you look at your wedding as a contract, then it's about the other party not fulfilling thing, then I can do whatever I want as well. So, but if you look at it in the spiritual sense that it's a vow that one party promises to the other, the heaven to hold in sickness, in death, in, in, in suffering, in pain, um, that changes everything, you know. Um, and so when it's in the physical, it's in the domain of the state to enforce. Because man is not able to fulfill his vows, that's why man needs a contract to protect himself. <laughs> and so that's quite true, I think, for many. That's why vows no longer exist today, because it's, 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 we, we are not able to keep our vows. And the scriptures is saying that very clearly, you know. Man's heart is not, there's no truth in man's heart. That's why as far as God's concerned, only God can do contracts, uh, covenant. And so we rely on contracts, so we, we need the help of the state to, to protect our rights and so on. And so because we need the help of the state to do the rights, therefore slowly it now becomes about the state, defining what marriage is, what marriage should be, and so on. Whereby in the spirit, it's never about the state. It's always about God. And, and so... Why do we get so hyped up when the state changes its terminologies and stuff? Because when, if you stand from the Spirit, you see from the Spirit. And from the Spirit, there is no divorce. Because it's rooted in truth. And that Spirit, you all, we know what the Spirit is, should be, and so on. And, um, so contracts are contractual, covenants are committal. So we commit to something. Um, so why did God, in the start, we cannot hold truth in our hearts, and therefore we cannot, God knew, only I will do the con- covenant with you, because I know you can't. 
And so for that process, for the time being, while you don't have truth in your heart, you, can, you still have a diesel engine, you cannot, you know, have, uh, 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 what you call that, petrol. Or in, I will put a contract in place first. So I will put the contract in place first. Hopefully at the point in time when you read, when the time is fulfilled, when the truth will come in that will enable you to fulfill your vow, then the contract is free and you can do what you need to do. And so the contract with us, as far as relationship goes, you know, if you know how committed God is in his vow to you, you know, you can't help but commit back. So you will not know, you will not commit until you know how committed it is to you. Um, so that's getting that thing right. It's coming to understanding of his love, which doesn't change. It is permanent, regardless of who you are. And then coming to understand the vow that he has made for you from the start of time. That will radically change your relationship with Him. And from that relationship with Him, you are now able to see that in your relationship with your spouse, relationship with your children, your relationship with your, your boss, you know, your, 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 your staff, and your relationship with even with the government and your authorities and so on. It, it trickles, it changes everything. And so the question now comes to how is our relationship seen as a covenant to him and others. When we go to work, are we operating from contracts or are we seeing our work as a covenant with God, you know? A covenant with my boss, regardless of how he or she is, a covenant with my staff, regardless of how, how they are, a covenant with the company that I'm working for, regardless of whether I'm treated badly or not. Do I see my marriage in the same way, you know, as a covenant or as a relationship, as a contract? Do I see my children as a covenant or as a contract? Do I see, you know, even like, you know, with my, with my landlord, is it just as a contract or is actually a covenant that is born out of my covenant with the Lord? And so I'm able to make a covenant with Him as well because this heart is no longer um, a heart of stone. It is a heart that is now filled with truth Amen. from Him that enables me to live that way. And so it's bringing back everything into its place. So what Jesus is saying, come to me, you know, I, I, I learn from me. And so when, when the Spirit, and like when the Pentecost, when Pentecost came, the Spirit came and filled everyone that's there. Um, in the Hebrew calendar, a day doesn't change. You know, if if you are born on a Wednesday of February 24, it always stays Wednesday on February 24. And I think you may have known this that the, when the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came on the Pentecost, that was on the same day that the law was given on Sinai. A law that was given externally as a contract now became a law that is written in your heart. A law that God has brought, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a law that now that's written in your heart. It's fulfilled what the scripture says. On the last day, I will pour out my spirit on all men. So I will give you a new heart 
not the heart of stone, but the heart of flesh. So a heart that because God is in me, now that enables me not just to be a recipient of his vow, but to make the vow to him as well. A vow that doesn't change, that doesn't affect So that is what happens now, I think, is truth has come. And, and, and truth is now within us. And, and so it's, it's, once you see that slowly, things will be, uh, will, will change. And so I'll end with, um, a verse from Deuteronomy 30, 11. Um, it's when God gave them the law or, or the commandment. But it says, now what I am commanding you today is not difficult. Why has it become difficult? For you, it's not difficult for you or beyond your reach. You know, what I've given you is not in heaven. So that you will ask, then who will then go to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey? It's not beyond the sea. So you can have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so you may obey it. See, I have set for you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commandments, decrees, and laws. And you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering the promise. So what the law is not done with, but the law is actually, you know, in us now, in Christ. Um, and so with Him and through Him, you know, we are able now to bring everything back under Him. All, all the, the relationships, everything that's in the physical. Yeah. And so that's awesome. His, yeah, God is good. <laughs>